Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Can we give another hand to our worship team? We're blessed with some awesome musicians and worship leaders. Thank you, worship team. We're so glad you're here. I believe there's a reason you're here this morning. I believe in... Uh, not accidents, but divine leading of God's spirit. So I'm so glad, and I believe he has something in store for us here together. Before I get into the message, I want to highlight one of our favorite events of the year. It's just six days away. Let's hear it for Fall Festival. Come on. It's going to be awesome. It is this Saturday. The flyers are out in the foyer. They look like this. We need you to take piles of these flyers and invite everybody you know. English on front, Spanish on back. You can see, I don't know if you can read down there, but We're going all out. We're talking free food in the form of hot dogs, chips, water, hot drinks. Hot drinks meaning hot chocolate, apple cider, and coffee. Come on, hear it for hot drinks. (laughs) Bounce houses, hayride, balloon animals, face painting, petting zoo. We've never done that. Fire truck, police cars, RC car racing. We've never done that. Candy games, prizes, pumpkin decorating, and there might even be a helicopter landing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our our team puts a lot into it, and the heart behind it is it is a bridge event. So it helps us show hospitality and love to our city and build relationships with people. And every time we do it, we end up meeting people that end up becoming part of our church family, and we get to be a part of their story. So if you're not already helping with it, uh, let us know. We'd love for you to be part of the team that's pulling that off. Uh, It really takes the whole church to do it well. And uh, engage with the social media as well. We have a few ads out there on Facebook and on Instagram. Pastor Oscar and I doing it in English and Spanish, a little video, and go on our Facebook page or Instagram page, like it, comment on it. That helps us, and share it if you're up for it. All that helps us uh, connect with more people. Last Sunday, my family and I were away because my brother-in-law, who is my wife's little brother, got married, and I was honored to officiate uh, the ceremony. And this is proof that we were there and proof that I do wear a suit when I need to. See what I'm saying? I can pull that off. It also shows you our strategy with clay for things like weddings, and that is a very clear lollipop system, right? If you sit quiet at the beginning of the ceremony, you get your first lollipop. And then, actually, there was a pre-ceremony lollipop for something. There was a rehearsal dinner lollipop. There was, I think, two ceremony lollipops, and then there were a few, like, picture lollipops and dinner lollipops. So he made out. So we're glad to be back. And didn't Pastor Heather share an awesome message last Sunday about the dream of living at Jesus' feet? Let's give a hand to Pastor Heather. She did a great job. Today, we're resuming our series through the Gospel of John, and we're at the very end of chapter 11. The series is called Believe because it's the theme of the entire book, and we're going slowly through it. We've been in it about a year, and we'll probably be in it another year, Lord willing, and we'll break for little series here and there. And we're asking the question, what would it look like if we truly believed Jesus? And today's title is Cultivate a Heart That Believes. One of my daughters is here in the room, and she could tell you that one of the things I pray for them and my son, for our church family, and for anyone that I just love on repeat is that they would have a heart after God. Because there's something about the fact that we don't know what's coming in life for our kids, for ourselves, for anyone in this church family. But if someone has a heart after God, and that is the the ground zero, if you will, that they return to, that heart will navigate you through all the ups and downs of life. So How we cultivate our heart matters profoundly. And I'm going to share a few definitions to help us frame this sermon. The word cultivate 
means to prepare for and foster growth through breaking, paying special attention, and encouraging. So that's a combination of a few definitions. Of course, you have to cultivate ground before you can put seed in it that is going to grow to be healthy. And there is this sense that God cultivates our hearts, and that's such good news, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the sermon. But there's also this sense that we have a responsibility for how we cultivate the condition of our own heart. And so in that sense, we should ask ourselves, how are we cultivating it? And then the word believe, the definition that we're using is to have confidence in the truth and reliability of something as demonstrated by our actions. So we're not talking about the kind of believing where it's just kind of almost speculation just out there and and in nebulous, but we're talking about belief that leads to us actually acting on it. And by way of illustration, I believe that Two plus two equals four. Thank you, Nessa. Anybody agree with me? I believe two plus two equals four. And I know if your parents out there have little kids, they've changed math. You guys have seen that, right? Have you tried to help your kids with common core math? It's impossible, and it's pointless in my opinion. I don't understand it. But, but I think even in common core math, two plus two equals what? Four. And so I believe that. But I believe it so much that if I was taking a test right now and receiving a grade and it said, what is two plus two? I would actually write down four, sign my name on that and turn it in because I believe it to the point of action or as action that shows evidence of my belief. Another way to illustrate that is with a stool or a chair. I don't know where we got this stool. We probably bought it offline on Amazon and it probably wasn't that expensive, but I still believe that it will hold me. And since I believe that, I'm willing to let my action evidence my belief. And here I am now resting in the belief of what I believe to be true about this stool. And sometimes our faith and belief in God, we overcomplicate it. It can be as simple as allowing ourselves to sit in that truth and rest on it. Trusting and believing in Jesus is much like just sitting in a chair. And here's this definition for believing in Jesus that we're using for this series. It's to have confidence in who he is, what he says, and what he has done, as evidenced by my repeated surrender and trust. And notice, it's not as evidenced by my now perfect life. It's also not as evidenced by my perfect surrender and trust. It's evidenced by my repeated surrender and trust. In other words, I will keep coming back to that because I believe it. So the first question in your notes is, are you cultivating a heart that believes? How is the condition of your heart today? What is going on in your inner life? And the scripture today addresses this beautifully, and it's a sobering warning and an encouragement. John 11, verses 45 to 57, this is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So there's two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were all friends with Jesus. Lazarus was sick. They begged him to come heal Lazarus. He did not come. Lazarus died. He was buried for a few days. Then Jesus showed up and raised him from the dead to the point that he walked out with grave clothes still on and had to take off his grave clothes. So this is an incredible miracle. And we pick up right after that in verse 45. It says this, therefore, because of that miracle, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. 
Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing for the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word that is spoken to us. And if any of us here have ever prayed that prayer, we want to hear your voice. God, we pray now that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying right now through your word to us. We don't believe we're here by accident. So God, enlighten our hearts and our minds with your truth. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, that we may be disciples of Jesus and follow hard after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's amazing to note that this chapter in John, which is only halfway through, marks the end of Jesus' public ministry. And if you're not familiar with just the life of Jesus and the timeline, he was born in obscurity. He spent 30 years in obscurity just doing the work. He, he, he grew and then he did the work of a carpenter. No one really knew who he was. He was of no consequence. But then at 30 years old, uh, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descended on him. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, tempted by Satan for 40 days, overcame that and began his public ministry, which was only three years of his life. And right now, we are picking up at the end of that three years. So the, the, the next 10 and a half chapters of this book that we're going to study over the next year have only to do with the last eight or so days of Jesus' life before his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And it's really interesting when you study uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the books of the New Testament that tell the story of specifically Jesus and his time on earth. It represents 89 chapters of the Bible, and only four of those 89 chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus' earthly life. And then 85 of those chapters, in other words, almost all of them, cover just the three years of his public ministry. And then out of those 85, a third of them are dedicated, 27 chapters, to just the last eight days. So these are some profoundly important days, and they make up what we have called in the church Passion Week that leads up to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so that frames what we're going to be studying for the next year when we're in this series. Look at what happened in verse 45. It shows us very clearly two responses to a miracle. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to see Mary and saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead believed him. But there were other Jews there that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
And so we're gonna find ourselves in one of these two camps. And it's so fascinating that even one of the greatest miracles ever from death to life physically, eyewitnesses, it still did not change all of their hearts. And it's fascinating to note that miracles themselves do not change anyone's heart by themselves. And the principle is this, it's number two in your notes. It is possible to see a miracle and not believe. You could rephrase it. If someone refuses to believe, a miracle won't have any effect. Have you ever just prayed that prayer? God, if you would just do this amazing miracle, I would probably believe. I'd probably trust you a little more. I know I've talked with God plenty of times thinking I had a better plan for the salvation of the world. And I'm like, what if you just did this, God? What if you just showed up abundantly clear to everybody and no one could deny it and did the craziest miracles? Then surely everyone would confess Jesus as Lord. Have you ever tried to convince God about what he should do? Like, I've got a better plan for this whole thing. And, you know, God knows our hearts, and he knows every person, every one of us that he has made in his image, and he knows that just seeing miracles doesn't cause us to believe in Jesus, doesn't cause us to believe in a creator. Think about the miracles that a lot of us have grown incredibly accustomed to. Uh, Probably the most incredible one is how we're all born into the world. I've watched four little tiny babies come out of my wife's body, right? Babies that grew inside of her, received all their sustenance from her, and then came into the world and not just had a perfectly unique genetic fingerprint, but had a perfectly unique soul created by God. This is absolutely an astounding miracle. Yet, we witness that on a regular basis, and many of us still do not believe. Then there's the the breath that we breathe. There's the fact that our hearts keep beating. I feel like every time my heart beats, it's a miracle. In fact, I get nervous when I start thinking about it because I realize how powerless I am to keep it beating. I'm like, I need this completely to live, yet I cannot make it beat. It's a miracle. A lot of the leading physicists, not even Christian ones, will tell you that we still don't know why all of the molecules hold together to form the different things that make up everything we see. For instance, the chair that you're sitting on, we know it's made up of molecules and all kinds of different things, but we have no idea why they all stay together. We don't know why the molecules molecules of your body stay together. These are miracles of the living God, the creator, that we almost pay no attention to. And for much of the world, they do not cause us to believe. How about the miracles of forgiving someone that has hurt us? That's a miracle that many of us have witnessed and experienced. The miracle of a restored relationship or genuine love. These are miracles, yet many of us do not believe. J. Vernon McGee famously said, the problem is not the lack of evidence, the problem is the unbelief of man. And so the question is, what leads to a changed heart? Number three in your notes, miracles themselves do not change us, believing in Jesus does. And that's why the whole theme of the Gospel of John And arguably, one of the themes of all of Scripture is simply the one word, believe. The the Apostle John says, this is what it is to do the work of God, to believe in the one that he sent. The theme of this entire book is John 20, 31. It won't be on screen. This is a great one to memorize. It says, but these are written, all of these Scriptures, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So how do we have life in his name? By believing. Believing is that 
important. Then we look at the meeting of the religious leaders in verse 47. The chief priests, after they received this news of Lazarus coming back to life, what Jesus had done, they called a meeting with the Pharisees and gathered the whole Sanhedrin. They said, what are we accomplishing? This man is performing signs. If we let him continue, everyone's gonna believe him. And here was their fear. The Romans will come and they will take away both our temple and our nation. So they felt threatened by the miracles Jesus was doing, even though he was there to save them. They were resisting him. And these were all the big dogs gathering as the Sanhedrin, the power brokers, the religious, and in many cases, political and spiritual leaders of the day. And it says in verse 53, tragically, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And that's why he stopped his public ministry. Jesus therefore no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. So these Christian, not Christian, these so-called godly leaders of the day, and I'm not just totally throwing them under the bus because I think we're more like them many times than we realize. I know that I can be. But they have developed a well-oiled and organized religious system out of the law of God in the Old Testament. So not everything they developed around his law was from God, but they developed a system and an authority structure around that. Might I add, much like we've done with the New Testament. We've added a whole system and structure around this thing. I'm not saying that's all bad. We're a part of the church. It is beautiful. But if we're really honest, there are things that have been added. And what's fascinating and important to note and sobering is that with these Pharisees in all their organization, all their religious efforts, they are at the end of the day actually resisting the Savior resisting God in the flesh who was sent to save them. And there's an important principle that applies to us here today, and I'm gonna expound on it, but it's number four. It is possible to participate in organized religion and not believe. How many of you guys would be honest with me and say, you've done that at some point in your life? I have. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was basically born in a pew. And I, I kind of said I believed, but I didn't really believe. And I, I'm not even saying I regret that. It's part of my story. But eventually, it stirred in my heart what we were talking about at church. And I began to ask God, if this is all true, my goodness, I, I want to know. Because this is, this is far-reaching. This would have implications for my life that I want to be aware of. So I became what I call an honest seeker for the first time really when I was 17 years old, and it changed my life. I became a believer, and God did miracles in my life through that season, and I've never looked back since. When God called my wife and I to the Nashville area to start a new church, which then just turned into a merger here at Graceland Church, one of the things I wrestled with when we got here was, my goodness, there's a gazillion churches here. Why would I leave Los Angeles to come here? It seemed like there was so much need where we were before in church planting. And I really wrestled with God about that. And one of the things he reminded me of is he just said, Nathan, can you be a part of reaching people that are just like you? Meaning are in the church system and maybe even a part of professional Christian industry, but don't know me yet? I was like, oh, yeah, I can be a part of that. And again, that's not for me to judge who that is and who that isn't, but it is highly possible. We even talk a lot with our staff here at Graceland Church about how the more you step into vocational ministry where you're, where you're getting paid and it's your vocation and it's full time, the easier it is to take it for granted and shrivel up and die spiritually. 
It's really a counterintuitive uh, thing, but it can happen. And so we are always challenging, challenging each other. We wanna end this thing loving Jesus more than when we started, right? And that's my prayer for our church as we endeavor to do the work of God on the earth together. We don't wanna let that work beat out of us our love for God, right? And start clinging to just a religious system. And, and here's a follow-up principle. Organized religion does not renew us or change us but believing in Jesus does. We have to be clear about where our hope lies here. And, and hear me clearly, church participation and commitment is absolutely vital to our faith, but it is not our salvation, right? You could think of it this way. Perfect attendance is good, but it doesn't give you life everlasting. Have you noticed that? Perfect church attendance is good, and we don't take attendance. I'm just using that as a silly example. Perfect church attendance is good, but it doesn't lead to life everlasting being in us now. Have you noticed that? You can leave church just as messed up as you were before. You can serve in church. You can preach in church. You can lead worship in church. You can do anything in the context of organized religion and not necessarily have any change in your life. So it's really important to come back to reminding our hearts, wait a second, I need to cultivate actual belief in Jesus. An awesome giving record is good and it's beautiful, but it doesn't mean you know Jesus. There are actually gonna be people, scripture says, that, that come before him on the other side of eternity and say, didn't we do mighty exploits in your name to Jesus? That's a sobering scripture. Didn't we, didn't we do wonderful and amazing things for you, Jesus? This is just, Jesus is telling this to us that this is gonna happen. And to some who say that, he will say, sorry, I didn't know you. And so there is one thing that leads to life, and that's belief in Jesus and knowing him. And I want to emphasize again, as we set our hearts towards believing in Jesus and cultivating that condition in our hearts, one of the primary places we do that is in the context of the church, right? So that's the healthy approach to the church. We're committed to one another and helping each other spur on our faith towards Jesus. So I just want to ask you really plainly today, do you know Jesus? Are you cultivating a heart that believes in Looking at verse 48 again, we get some clarity around what was happening with the Pharisees. It, they're talking as the Sanhedrin and saying, if we let Jesus keep going, everyone's gonna believe. Then it'll get the attention of the Romans and the Romans will come and take away what is ours, the temple and our whole nation, uh, the whole Jewish nation. So they felt threatened by what Jesus was doing because the, the Roman occupying power, occupying power would take too much of a notice of Jesus and he would misrepresent them and they would lose their safety net, if you will, their sense of control, their sense of power. And it helps us understand, usually we're either cultivating a heart of belief or we're cultivating a heart of fear. And fear encapsulates a lot. You might be like, no, 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 I'm not afraid, but, but bear with me for a second. Any, any kind of anxiety and worry is a manifestation of fear, right? Even things like, things like anger, and, and, and things like hurt and pain, they, they come around and, and, and show up in our lives like we are now living in a protected manner. I, I, will not, I will not believe that Jesus could give me a healthy friendship because I got hurt so bad. So I'm cultivating fear by what I'm telling my heart all the time instead of cultivating belief. You tracking with me? And that shows up in our life in a myriad of different ways. We need to pay attention to it though. And we need to understand that if it's fear that we're cultivating, we're actually gonna see the things that God wants to use to help save us as threats. 
So for instance, some of the hardest things in our lives, God is actually using for his purpose and glory in our life. Have you noticed that? When your marriage is really tough, when you maybe don't wanna talk to that person or look at them or be in the same room with them, don't look next to you if this is going on right now, but usually God is wanting to shape something in you through the challenge of what's happening there. So what feels like a threat, you should instead pay attention to and say, God, how are you calling me to respond to this? That's called humbling yourself and coming back to moving from fear and coming back to belief. And we're just gonna end really practically with how do we cultivate this heart that believes in Jesus rather than this heart that is afraid? Number six is humble yourself to receive what Jesus says. It's really hard when we're afraid or angry to humble ourselves and receive what Jesus says. But have you ever noticed when you really do that, the power of God comes on you in the blink of an eye? And it, all of a sudden there's power to change this whole situation. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I'm gonna just paraphrase the parable of the sower. It's in Mark chapter four, verses 14 through 20 is the explanation Jesus gives if you wanna study it later. But it articulates four different kinds of ground that are able to receive or not receive the word of God. And Jesus is God's word. So what we want to cultivate is a heart that believes in Jesus. In other words, we want to cultivate the soil of our heart that can receive what he is saying, to be able to humbly receive. And all of us are gonna find ourselves in one of these four categories today. If we're, if we're the path, the seed falls on the path and then the birds can just steal it away. Satan can just steal away what was sown by the word. If we're the rocky places, you, you hear the word and receive it with joy, but it doesn't really take root. It only lasts for a short time. And as soon as there's some trouble uh, because of the world, we fall away. Others of us, and this is where I think a lot of Christians wrestle the most, are, are like seeds sown among thorns. And because here's, listen to what the thorns are. We hear the word, we receive it, but there's three giant thorns that are contending for the space in our heart, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand now, but how many of you sense the wrestling match of the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, trying to choke out the word from the soil of your heart? And this is where our intentionality comes in. We have to say, wait a second, I wanna be like the seed sown on good soil. I wanna do my part to cultivate my heart to be good soil so that I can hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. And we, are, we have a part in that story. And he says that seed will produce a crop and it'll be 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. Have you noticed that when you are walking and your heart is this good soil and you're receiving God's word, you're walking in, your, in humility, you're receiving what God says and what Jesus is speaking to you, all of a sudden the peace of God starts to not just be in you, but move through you. You're being fruitful in other people's lives. The joy of the Lord can move through you. And, and if you're not being the good soil, other things are moving through you. <laughs> the anger that you feel the fear you feel over the worries of this life, perhaps even the deceitfulness. If you're accepting the deceitfulness of wealth in your heart, chances are you're gonna pass that to your loved ones. So there's more than at stake than even just your own heart. But these are all ways to cultivate belief in our heart, things we can avoid, things we can lean into. And here's, here's where we wanna end on such a positive note. 
Ultimately, we are all reliant on what God will do in our hearts. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. We actually can't do that initial work of transforming our heart on our own. Everything we're talking about is post-new heart. Look at the prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What a promise. Who is with me and would love to say, God, give me or remind me of that new heart. Please, please soften my heart, Lord. And in in the New Testament, Corinthians says, Behold, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So I don't know where all of you are, but all of this begins with number seven in your notes. Receive a new heart in Christ. And then the cultivation we've been talking about is this, grow into it on purpose. So receive a new heart in Christ and grow into it on purpose. That's That's sanctification. It's a theological term for growing into the holiness and righteousness of God that is put on us through Jesus. So what's really happening here is when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives you a new heart. And he says, your new heart loves the will of God. Your new heart finds perfect joy in the presence of God. Your new heart is not riddled with the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, but you're not fully living according to your new heart yet. Anybody? And so we grow up into the realities of our new heart on purpose in the context of grace. So when you feel yourself drifting, remind yourself, wait a second, I'm rooted in truth. When you feel yourself getting choked out by the worries of life, remind yourself, wait, I trust God. When you feel yourself getting choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth, declare to your own soul, wait, I will serve no other God except the God. My hope is not in wealth. When you feel the desires for other things come in and try to choke out the word, remind yourself, I will seek the Lord and him alone. He is the greatest desire of my heart. So as the worship team and some of our prayer team comes up, I'm gonna ask you this question. If you could close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me. What is the Lord asking you to believe him about today? What is he inviting you to trust him with? How is he asking you to take part in cultivating your own heart, reminding yourself of this hope that you have, this unshakable foundation, this rock upon which you stand? I wanna invite you to actually get something or maybe a few things that rise to the surface specifically in mind. What is it that maybe keeps you up at night if you think of it or kind of plagues your thoughts? Could it be, could be some way that you've been hurt? It could be some miracle that you need, some fear. It could be a deep pain. It could be a situation that feels impossible. It could be you've taken offense and you're just so angry. It could be so many things, but let that rise up. And then Remind that thought, literally speak to it and say, wait a second, God has given me a new heart. Therefore, I will not fear. I will believe Jesus is big enough and strong enough and loves me enough to be faithful through this. So you're rewriting the story of your thoughts, rewriting the soil of your heart. And it might be as simple as just sitting on a stool like I talked about at the beginning. If you're sitting in a seat right now, you're declaring your faith in that seat. 
And you may just need to lean back and rest in the arms of your father. Say, wait a second, I actually believe I'm a daughter, I'm a son of the living God. I actually believe that the one who spoke the heavens into existence, every star, every beautiful galaxy, this whole planet, all the things that are so impossible, but by brilliant design, that same God who spoke it all designed me on purpose. That same God orders my steps. That same God welcomes me into his embrace right now. And I can just sit back on this chair and rest and find hope and healing. And there's something about just worshiping over it. We're singing this song called A Thousand Hallelujahs in a Moment. And I love, I love thinking about this. It hit me in first service. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I've got a thousand problems, <laughs> a thousand issues, challenges, but I've also got a thousand hallelujahs. And so we're going to sing over all these things that rise to the top of our minds and hearts, all of these challenges. We're just going to worship over and remind ourselves to believe. So worthy of all of our praise, God, our, our highest affection, our hope, our joy. You are who we are called to. We chase after you, God, today. We want to know you more. And we thank you for speaking to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Let me remind you, on your way out, grab a pile of these. It's this Saturday, so whatever's not taken, uh, we just have to get rid of. Find it online. Share it. We want to help share hope in our community. I'm going to pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great afternoon.